May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. May be seated. We began today's service with the Great Litany, a communal prayer that possibly dates back as early as the 5th century and was first published in English in 1554. It's interesting to observe how contemporary the concerns are, if you can hear beyond the old language of thee and thy and thou. The petitions to God are for safety, for protection from enemies, for peace in the world and in our minds and hearts, for honorable leadership in our country and in our churches, for relief for prisoners and the poor, comfort for the sick, for forgiveness, for mercy and grace, and gentleness in death. If you listen carefully, just about everything we worry about as 21st century people is contained somewhere in the prayer. Perhaps that is why it still resonates even after centuries. The Great Litany is also a fitting follow-up to Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday, as it also highlights our place in the cosmos as creatures in need of saving, in need of comfort, in need of reminders about God's all-powerful mercy and action in our world. In the prayers, we admit that God is in charge, and we submit to the knowledge that God is omniscient about our failings, our weaknesses, our dependence upon a larger reality of God's love. And we proclaim our trust in God's great mercy, in the kingdom to come, in forgiveness, healing, and salvation that is on offer. Today's collect names this truth, too, in way fewer words. Come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations, and as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. As you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. For if we are honest with ourselves, we know we have weaknesses. We sometimes in today's world call them growing edges and challenges, so as to empower ourselves with the illusion that we can fix ourselves by ourselves. But this Lenten collect takes a different approach. In the prayer, we acknowledge that we are tempted by many things, the ways of the world, the comforts that come with wealth and privilege, the benefits of education and leisure time, the desire for power, the seduction of all the social media stuff that swirls around us, and any number of other temptations you can name either silently or aloud. The Collect reminds us that God 
the one who created you, the one who calls you beloved, also knows you. Knows what your temptations are, what your weaknesses are, and comes to save you, to forgive you, to love you. Let each one of us find him mighty to save indeed. So how does this work? How do we get from the humility of the great litany to the colic with our plea for being known as sinful, weak creatures and yet saved? How do we find a realistic way to live our lives this Lent and beyond? Well, Jesus provides the answer to this in the Gospel reading. And it's a very short little reading. Mark basically gives us a Cliff Notes three bullet point message. So what we learn first is Jesus is baptized, and God claims him as his beloved son. Beloved in baptism is Jesus, and so are you. God's love and blessing and claiming comes first. Secondly, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted. Who among us has never been to the wilderness? I would be shocked to see a hand. Because I think that nobody over the age of maybe four can claim not to know the geography of some sort of wilderness. The pain of temptation, the sleepless nights, questioning what is true and honest and right and life-giving, struggling with what might be easier, perhaps give us power to overcome others or provide immediate gratification. So then we hear that Jesus comes through his ordeal. Mark doesn't give us any details about it, right? We don't hear about the questions or the things that we hear from the other gospel writers. It just says he's there for 40 days with the beasts waited on by the angels. But he comes through that ordeal, not without hunger and discomfort, but he announces the truth that he has gleaned. The kingdom of God has drawn near. I understand that as a statement of hope, a promise from God for salvation. And then Jesus says, repent. Turn away from those temptations. Turn toward the God who loves you and calls you beloved. For that is where true bread, true life, lies. Lent is the season when we are called to answer Jesus' message. Repent. Turn. Return. The repentance we hear from Jesus' words this morning in Mark's Gospel. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. What is this command? It's not a suggestion. What is this command to repent? What does it mean to repent? Why is this season of Lent important as an intentional time to repent? Now, 
Mark's gospel, I believe, would have been in Greek, and I didn't write down what the word is in Greek, because the word that I always think about is the Hebrew word for repent, which is shuv. I imagine when Jesus said this in real time, he would have spoken in Hebrew or in whatever that word is in Aramaic. Shuv means to return, to turn back, to turn away, to cease, to change your mind. Turn to the Lord your God. So to repent, this is important, repent is not to sit still, surrounded with guilt, and beat oneself up for our weaknesses and our temptations and our sins. Repent, shuv, it's an active word. It's a word of movement. To repent is to turn toward God and away from those other things that keep us from seeing clearly who God is. Mighty to save. The season of Lent is an invitation to move, to turn, to see, to be open to something new. Trusting that the one who loves you will see you turn and greet you with joy and love and forgiveness. Unless you think this is a one-time event, I don't think so. I think it's more like a dance, right? Think of that song, Turn, Turn, Turn. There's a season for everything under heaven. We're constantly turning, right? We're constantly looking away from God, looking away from blessing, looking away from love, seduced by whatever it is that's tempting us over here. But in the season of Lent, and because of Jesus' statement, we're invited to stay moving. Right? We're not going to not be tempted, but we always have the possibility of this dance of turning around, turning around, turning around. I will conclude with a little Lenten encouragement from Barbara Brown Taylor, who some of you may know. She captures this in one paragraph, what I've been trying to say in five pages. So listen to Barbara. She says, Those of us who have committed ourselves to a life of repentance and return will not give up on ourselves, no matter how many times we have to repeat the process. We will keep telling the truth and turning around, every day, if need be. We will never say never, as in, I'll never recover, I'll never get it, I'll never learn. Why? Because we believe in God's goodness more than we believe in our own badness. We believe in God's goodness more than we believe in our own badness. So friends, in this season, as practice for always, may we believe in God's goodness and be people who turn toward that. Amen.